0: Well, with Thanksgiving definitely comes a season of thankfulness where we remember the things that we are so thankful for. Um, I want to thank uh, you who came out to our community Thanksgiving dinner this past Thursday. It was an awesome time. Uh, Pam Jones, if you know her, she uh, spearheaded that and did an absolute fantastic job, so I want to thank her. Uh, I want to thank you definitely. Uh, if you haven't met Pam, you've probably still tasted her cooking, and you'll you'll want to meet Pam. So um, I also want to thank all, all those who served alongside her. She did a great job putting some teams together, those who set up, those who did the decorations, those who uh, tore down the cleaning, uh, the food prep, all, all that w- went into that night. We're so appreciative of those who helped and those who brought us cider, dessert to share. Thank you so much. We really do appreciate that. And then finally, thank you for those who invited. Uh, one of the great things that we, that, that I thought about as I saw those who came, as I looked at all the people who were there, and how many I didn't know. It was evident that you guys were inviting your family and friends to come be a part of what God is doing in and through Meadowland Church. So thank you for those who invited. It truly is a joy to be together in fellowship with one another as we reach out to our community. I probably skipped on introducing myself, so I apologize. My name is Steve, for those that don't know me, I'm the pastor here, and I just want to welcome you here. Uh, If you are a guest or visitor this morning, a special welcome. Uh, Meadowland is a safe place to ask questions, uh, to explore who God is and who Jesus is and what he's about, and uh, we we encourage you uh, to connect in here, and and, uh, our heart is to see people take the next step on their spiritual journey and to walk that road with you. And So that's a little bit about who we are, Uh, but today is our supply drive. We've been talking about First Way Pregnancy Services. Uh, they're just down the street here in Johnsburg and they serve McHenry um, County and, and the surrounding area. And uh, we wanted to help support them as they, uh, one of the, their goals is to help take the crisis out of a crisis pregnancy. And so if there's uh, a lady who is faced with a crisis pregnancy and considering taking the pregnancy out, uh, First Way does all that they can to uh, try to help them um, not take that choice of, of um, abortion, but to uh, be supported by their community uh, and to be, uh, bring supplies and, and uh, medical uh, resources, all kinds of things that they, they're on the front lines of really putting their money where their mouth is. And so we want to support them in that, and that's what we're doing, the supply drive. And they said, hey, we get diapers all the time, but we rarely get wipes. And so we've said, hey, bring in some wipes. That's why I see a lot of wipes up here, uh, as well as any, any uh, toys or clo- clothing for kids 24 months and younger. Uh, if you did bring those, and you didn't get a chance to get them up front just before you leave today, uh, just put them on the stage, and then we'll bring them all over to First Way on Monday. Uh, also, if you want to support them, uh, but you weren't able to bring something, you can always do it on your own directly. Uh, FirstwayMcHenry.com is our website for more information on that. Well, next week is an exciting week coming up. Uh, not only is, is the, the week ahead, uh want to get days off, you have Thanksgiving celebrations. Uh, I'm guessing you have family and friends. Hopefully, that's something to be thankful for um, in your situation. Uh, but it's an exciting Sunday as well. We're going to be starting a new series called Christmas Presents. Uh, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Uh, those who are parents probably figured that out because you're used to spelling everything out in front of our kids. Um, so next week is Christmas presents. We're talking about the, the things that that uh, God has gifted us with and ultimately thankful for truly his presence in our life and how his presence in our life brings joy, brings peace, brings hope. And so I'm excited about that series. Uh, it's also going to be the final week that we're collecting for our lost. Uh, we've been uh, one of the projects we've been doing in the midst of this series, The Generous Life, uh, has been raising funds to do some construction on our loft. Uh, if you kind of wonder, hey, but there's people up in the loft right now, what's the problem with it? That's a view that, that they kind of have right now, and that's a picture from before, uh, but that's kind of what they're looking at right now, is, is a beam. And so some of you might want to head up there if you're tired of looking at me, and that's fine, I won't take it personally, but we're actually going to uh, remedy that by, by taking that railing out and then raising it and putting glass in there. And we've actually started construction on the project already. And so thank you for those who've already given financially, those who've given of your uh, your time and your skills and in, in seeing that built. Uh, we have approximately $1,000 of the $1,500 that are needed uh, to, to fund all that. And so today and then next Sunday are, are our final opportunities, if you've been planning to contribute to that, that we'd ask you uh, to just use the, the envelopes in front of you and just put loft on there, and then designate how much is going for the loft. Uh, the goal has been 5000 Anything above and beyond that 1500 will go to uh, improve seating, uh, get some, a little more cushion in it, as well as uh, some um, flooring upgrades. We will need this extra usable space. Uh, it's evident here that uh, you guys have been busy sharing and inviting with your family and friends, and that, that is a beautiful thing. Uh, we, we can't encourage that enough. Uh, our our Faith in Jesus is not one that's just meant to go in a, in a, a room by ourselves and not ever share it with anyone else, but uh, to, to reach out to others and love and share and invite people to come and engage in what God is doing. Um, especially this, this time of year where vi- family are visiting, friends are, are more willing to uh, come and, and, and check out something, I would encourage you to be uh, inviting those family and friends, actually. So my family are, are here this morning. Um, so the message might be a, a little shorter. I've had to cut some stories that were probably uh, embarrassing for them, so I just cut those stories out. I actually, I might put more in that have nothing to do with the message just so I can get my side of the story out before they share anything here this morning. So Welcome. Uh, if you're unable to invite your family and friends out to Meadowland because they, they live too far away or you're going to be visiting them, you know, invite yourself to their church. Or If they don't have a church, hey, can we go find a place? And, uh, I encourage you to engage in spiritual conversations this season as we go through the holidays. To be asking people where they are in, in, in their relationship with God and, and to approach that out of love. Finally, I also want before we get into the message here, I want to thank you uh, for all who have partnered with us as we've been going through these the generous life and the projects we've done. Thank you to those who attended the, the Feed My Starving Children events. Um, we partnered together a bunch of other people, had these pe- two different packing days, and, and in those two days, it was, it was actually an hour each time, and just in those two hours, over 60,000 meals were prepared that, that go out overseas, and that feed the hungriest of, of, of children and people in need. Uh, thank you for those who've donated the supplies, and uh, we really appreciate it uh, for all uh, your generosity in that, uh, and thank you for those who've given of your finances, your skills, and your talents and your treasures in seeing the loft upgraded. These are all good things to give. It's it's a, a blessing to be generous because not only are the people who receive and we're generous blessed, but also we're blessed, right? Just uh, that, that satisfaction, that joy uh, of seeing someone else receive. And, and just that peace that, that we kind of receive in that. Uh, you know, it, it's more blessing to give than it is to receive. And so these are good things to give. And I, I encourage you to uh, continue with us as we continue to be a church that's a generous church. That, that gives freely and generously to our community, to those in need. Um, but is there anything in your life that you would give everything for? Maybe you've had a phrase that you've said before, like, you know, I'd give my right arm for that. Whether it's being silly, maybe it's something you're like, well, I, actually, if anyone needs a right arm, I, I'd give my right arm for that. Whatever that is. Think about what that might be for you. Maybe you have siblings. I'd, I'd give you my brother for that. Now, that might just be for a lunch or a candy bar, but that's okay. Um, but you say, yo, what, what, is there something that you would just give everything for? Think about what that, what that might be. Maybe some things come to mind, maybe they don't, but we're actually going to be looking at a passage here in a moment where Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he gives a whole list of parables. This kind of fires off a bunch. And a parable is a story that teaches a lesson. And so anytime you come across a parable in Scripture, one of the questions you can ask is, okay, what's the lesson that's being taught here? What should I be drawing from this story? And So it gives us this quick little story about a man who gave everything. But a man who gave everything. It's here in Matthew 13, and it tells us this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Pretty straightforward, pretty brief. Guy finds a, a, a treasure in a field, realizes that this is amazing. He buries it again. He goes off and he sells all that he has as I'm buying that field. Because he knows what's in the field. Try to put yourselves in the shoes of this guy's buddy. This is your friend who you're witnessing them sell everything. And I mean everything. I mean, for the next two weeks, they're on eBay just posting all their stuff up there. And they're just getting rid of everything they can and you're not going to sell your, your, your favorite collection of fill-in-the-blank, whatever you know, your friends uh, uh, like to collect, or the, whatever possessions are, are most valuable to them. You're going to sell the, Jesus, the, the the cheese, uh, the grilled cheese with the face of Jesus on it? No, you, you fought long and hard to get that. Someone actually bought that out there. You've got to think about that. Imagine, p- personalize it. Think of a friend. We would we, see never doing this. and next thing you know, they're just getting rid of everything. It's a, it's a fire cell. Just get rid of everything. It's all gone. And, and then you find out what's more odd is they're, they're happy about it. There's joy in, in this getting rid of everything. What, what are you going to do? Why are you selling it? What are you going to do with it? Well, I'm going to buy that field over there. You, you're you're going to be a farmer? Nope. Just buying the field. What, what are you going to do with it? I'm not going to tell you. It, it's, it, the man knows there's something of such value there that he joyfully will forego everything else to get that. And, that, and Jesus is saying, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what it's like. In, in this parable, the treasure represents Jesus. Knowing Jesus, being in a relationship with Jesus, is of such value, is of such worth in our lives, that it would be worth it to sell everything, get rid of everything, that's just simply have Jesus. Now, the beautiful part is, whether we sell all of our stuff or not, Jesus makes himself available to us. But then he calls us to live a certain way, and that's what he am talking about here. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to surrender our everything to Jesus? Because while it may not be a figurative, or a, a literal selling of all our things, that there's a figurative surrendering of all our things, right? We talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about um, how to be generous with our belongings, with our possessions, with our treasures. We had this kind of conversation about how uh, the issue wasn't against having. There's nothing wrong in having things, but it's, the issue is the using. How are you using them? Are you using things in a way that surrender them to God? We say, God, however you want me to use this for your glory, for the good of your people, help me to see how I can do that. So help me open up my home and be hospitable. Help me to be uh, um, free, freely given with my things when there's people in need. To loan out without an expectation of interest. But will this go beyond our belongings? Or are we willing to surrender the rest of our lives to God's will? And to God's purpose. If you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 16. That's where we're going to be kind of parking here this morning, Matthew chapter 16. Uh, if you need a Bible, you can take the ones out of, out of the seats, and you can call it your own, you can put your name in it, you can highlight it, you can take notes. It'll be on the screen as well. Uh, but Matthew 16 is where we're going to be here this morning. And Jesus is having a conversation with his, his disciples. And he asks this question, who do people say that I am? And they have a few different answers. And then, okay, well, who do you say that I am? And they just get to this point about, well, we, you're the Christ. We believe that you're the one we've been waiting for, the Messiah. The Jews, the people of God, have been waiting for a Savior to come and rescue the people of God. And so you get here in Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. If you're familiar with the uh, the disciple Peter, he's one to, to speak first, second, third, and then think fourth. I mean, he's just, it's a heart of passion. He's excited about stuff. He's like, I'm just going to get it out there. And Jesus, what are you talking about? You're not going to be killed. You're not going to be beaten. You're not, you're not going to suffer. No, you're, you're, we just talked about it. You're the Christ. You're the one who's supposed to come and, and rescue. I think on one hand, there's a passion in here. I think on another hand, that there's a hope and a prayer. Peter's got this expectation of what the Messiah, what the Savior would be, and what he would look like. You're going to come and bring about a kingdom of God here on earth, right? You've got to remember the Jews at this point in history were under Roman rule, that they weren't free in their own land. And so you've got to imagine maybe one of the things they were thinking about is, Jesus, you still got to take care of the Romans, that we're still oppressed by them. What's this? You're, you're going to die at the, at the hand of the elders and the, the chief priests? Peter just said, you can't figure it out. His expectations are, are just being rocked. And so, in all boldness, he pulls Jesus aside. and Jesus, i, I got to talk with you. you got to knock out all this whole you're going to suffer and die business. It's just, no, no, it's not going to fly with the troops. I mean, I, I know you don't mean it, but you know, you just got to cut it out. And Jesus turns, rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. Imagine hearing that from the mouth of Jesus. You are a hindrance to me. He's not calling Peter Satan, but the heart with which he's rebuking him. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus' reply is your focus is on yourself. Your focus is on the things of of this world, the things of man, and not on me, not on the things of heaven, not on God. Continues in verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This verse, Matthew 16, 24, is where we're going to kind of uh, spend the rest of our time here this morning. So I want to unpack some things that it does not mean. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, take up your cross and follow me. Here's some things that it does not mean it does not mean that we should all as Christians carry around a large wooden post with a wooden cross beam on it. Now We can kind of giggle about that, but there's some people who have said, oh, this is, this is what it means for me, and they'll construct a cross and they'll carry it across the nation back and forth. And you know, I'm not, I don't know enough about those individual people. I haven't talked to them to know their heart in that or why they're doing that. But that aside, this is not a call for all of us as followers of Christ to construct a cross and throw it over our shoulder and carry it around. We shouldn't have a parking lot, a coat rack, and then a cross storage spot. No, it's not what it's talking about. Something else that this this passage specifically is not speaking about, it's not speaking about this heavy burden that we should carry for Christ. I think sometimes we use it that way. Oh, you know, uh, pick up your cross. it's going to be a heavy burden that I have to carry for the cause of Christ. And that is just not true. Now, now hear me right in this. Um, Hear me correctly. Yes, there will be suffering. Yes, there will be pain. But in Jesus, there is still peace in the midst of that. In Jesus, there is joy in the midst of that to be found. One phone call can take away our happiness. You get a phone call, you get bad news, and and it's not a happy day anymore. But when our joy is in God, in the creator of this world, when our joy is in Christ, even in the midst of suffering and pain, we can still be free of burden. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28-30 tells us this. These are the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that sound like Jesus saying, hey, I got a heavy burden for you to carry? No. say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so this, this phrase, take up your cross and follow me, means something different. Yes, there will be suffering. Yes, there will be pain in the life of a follower of Jesus. But there's not a heavy burden that we're expected to carry. We're actually expected to lay our burdens at the feet of our Savior, at the feet of Jesus, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We also need to contextualize this. So when we talk about the cross, very different images come to mind today than would have come to mind in the minds of the disciples. Think about that. We talk about a cross, we think, oh, well, God, I got a cross necklace, I got one on my jewelry, I got one on my t-shirt, I got one you know. It's become an adoration, adornment. It's, it's, there are some positive things about it for us on this side of the cross. We think about the cross. Hey, the cross reminds me that when I trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, I'm forgiven. The cross reminds me that God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus who laid his life down on the cross so I could have eternal life. The cross reminds me that I've been redeemed. I've been bought back. I once well, had a dead heart. It was an enemy of God. But the work of the cross... What Jesus did, paid the price for my sins. And so we look at the cross, and and while, yes, we can acknowledge that this is is something that people died on, what Jesus did on the cross is an amazing thing for the life of the believer. So if we put it into context, we begin to see maybe a little bit what Jesus is saying. So what what would his disciples have heard? We said, take up your cross. Well, the cross was an implement of death. If you were sent to the cross, it wasn't, oh, I have to go endure this. It's, You're going to die. The cross was something that was used to bring about a slow and torturous death. One way we could kind of rephrase what Jesus is saying here, verse 24, to put it in, into our own words. If anyone, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and die and follow me. Let him deny himself and die and follow me. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. Surely he's not saying we need to go and, and, and physically die, right? but uh, uh, in line with this, denying ourselves, uh, dying to ourselves. If we keep on reading, we see support for uh, th- this understanding of the passage, Matthew 16, 25 and 26. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And we would surrender our lives for the sake of Jesus For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, throughout this series, we've talked about how God has modeled generosity to us, right? Right? Week one, the whole sermon is all about how God has given to us. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is consistent. He is a God who gives. He's given us great gifts. And because we've received, so God gives, we receive it. And because we've received much from God, it empowers us to be able to give. Let's go more specific in that. Jesus laid down his life. He gave of his life. This is what, what, what Peter is rebuking Jesus for, saying, no, no, that's not going to happen. And Jesus is like, no, this is what's going to happen. He, he, he gave his life up. And when we receive life in Jesus, when we trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins, and it empowers us to give of our lives. So God gave, we receive, and it empowers us to give of our own lives. You ever, you ever wonder to yourself, what's the story of the world? I mean, just the whole world, all history, all time, what, what's really the story of the world? If you, if you let yourself just kind of sit there in a minute, kind of think about it, um, you, you kind of begin to, to realize what a small little piece of the story each one of us is. What, what a brief amount of time we find ourselves on this earth. And, and, and part of the reason for that is, is the story about history is not about me and you. Honestly, it's not solely even about mankind. The story of this world, the story of history and, and present and future is God's story. He is the main character. He is the centerpiece. He is the focus. And so we see Jesus uh, setting this example for us where he says, okay, I'm going focus on things of God. Before he's about to go to the cross, he goes to the Father and in, in prayer, and he says, hey, if you could take this cup from me. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the cross was coming. He said, hey, if there's another way to handle this, let's do it. But if not, not my will, but yours be done. He says, your story, he says, the Father is the one to, to be told. And I will, I will surrender to your will. Let us follow in that example. Let's fix our minds on God, not on man, like Peter was in that moment. So when we think about our own lives, we think about our own stories, we can either focus on ourselves, get very self-centered, and focus on, uh, on things of this world, or we can have the, the constant battle of, of, of turning our eyes and focusing our mind on God and on heaven. We have a heart to, of, of your will be done, Father. See, so he, he poured himself out for us and we can have life. And when we pour out our lives, when we're found in Jesus, uh, we can point others back to Jesus so that they may have life. And so let's look at those steps: deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Denying yourself is—it's it, it, greater than not cheating on your diet. It, it's greater than uh, fighting some of these urges or temptations. I denied myself uh, the other night when, when I limited myself to just one line of Oreo cookies. Right? You know what I'm talking about. They come in the three lines. Yeah, That—that was. But that's not what, what Jesus is talking about here. I could have more. No, I'll, I'll deny myself one line is enough. There's really no other way to eat those. Uh, it, really, what, what this is about, it's about self-restraint. I'm sorry, it's, it's more than self-restraint. Let me, a few examples here. If you're familiar with the story of, of when Jesus first called Peter, basically Peter was a fisherman. He was out in his boat, men his nets. Jesus calls him, come follow me, Peter drops his nets and goes and follows Jesus. Yes, there's, there's more to it and, and there, there's probably a, a relationship that the, he knew that this is Jesus and, and, and believed him to be uh, this, this uh, teacher. And at that point, probably thought he was more of a great teacher and it was maybe he is the Messiah and was, yeah, I, I want to follow him. And so he drops everything and he follows him. And we see later in their relationship together where, where Jesus says, Peter, I will make you a fisher of men. You were a fisher of fish, I'm going to take those skills, I'm going to take who you are, who I've made you to be, I'm going to redeem that, and I'm going to give you a new focus. Now you're going to be a fisher of men. But he called Peter to give up everything, right? He, he had a direction in life, he's he jumping into the family business, You know, he's going to try to find a nice lady and settle down and have a family, and then you know just continue on, pass the business on, on, on to his kids. But then Jesus steps in and completely changes the focus. If Peter wasn't willing to deny himself and say, okay, let's see what God's will is. Let's pursue that. Let's see what that looks like. He would have missed out on so much. We also see a story where a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he basically says, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in his situation, Jesus says, sell everything you have and then come and follow me. Sell it all, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. It was too much for him. It was too much for him, and so he he went away sad. And so on one hand, I think we read this and we get nervous, like, um, is God asking all of us to sell everything we have and give it to the poor and come follow him because I I don't know if I could do that. Literally, no, it's it's not a a prescriptive passage for all people. Figuratively, there is a lesson that is prescriptive for us all. And that's a, a heart of full Surrender. Does he ask each one of us to sell all that we have and give, give it to the poor and come follow him? No, I don't believe he does. Does he ask all of us to fully surrender all that we have for whatever he would ask us? Yeah, I believe he does. To where if God did ask us, hey, I, I want you to sell this, and give it to the poor, that we would say, okay, your will be done, not mine. But both in the story of Peter and in the story of the rich young ruler, It was more, this denying of yourself was more than self-restraint. It was a complete change of direction. It was a complete change of focus in life. Jesus Jesus, uh, uh, told Peter, get behind me, Satan, when when Peter's focus was on on things of this world more than they were on things of God. You know, when I was uh, going into college, I ended up at at Trinity in Deerfield, and I took uh, my first semester class what well, was about just some generic ministry class. And through that class, I remember there's this one day I'm sitting there, and I began to see, um, my, my focus I kind of just kind of fell into youth ministry at that time. And I saw there was a need for junior high youth pastors. Junior hires, if you know any, if you, if you have any, are, are, are this really interesting, uh, neat thing. I don't know if they're, they're, they're fully human yet, but they're, they're kind of in process. I, I love them, absolutely love them. Uh, junior hires, if you're out there, I personally believe you are God's favorite people. Can't prove it biblically, not sure I'm right, but I believe it. Um, sorry, high schoolers who just fell out. <laughs> Especially in our culture, we're asking them to grow up and make all these adult decisions, yet, yet they're still kids. And, and, and so there's this, this, this kind of give and take, there's this tug and pull, and, and they're still trying to. There's so much going on in the life of a junior hire. We were talking about that one day in class and um, how they come across kind of crazy. And so people aren't, I don't want to go work with them. And and so there was a shortage of junior high youth pastors. And to this day, I remember this. My my heart, after I left that class, I I was talking to God. I'm like, you got a need over there, God. You got a need for junior high youth pastors. Good luck. (laughs) I'm dead serious. I I had zero desire to meet that need. Next semester, I'm another one of those kind of foundations of, of ministry class. And I'm not even sure what, what changed, but there, there came a point where all of a sudden, I said, you know what, God? I, I think I want to meet that need. I think I, think I want to be a junior high youth pastor. And that was one of you know, my journey. I kind of uh, was that for a while. And I've been, done some other stuff. But, and and that, that's, that's my story. And I wasn't sure what to, what to do with that because at one point, before I even got to Trinity, I wanted to build stuff. I wanted to get an engineering degree and, and, and build stuff. I didn't know to what, in what venue or, or what industry, but I wanted to build stuff. And I feel like through this process at Trinity, we're all of a sudden at this, this point of seeing a need and feeling a desire to want to go meet that need. I feel as if God was saying to me, all right, Steve, I want you to build stuff. I want you to build my church. I want you to build up my people. I want you to build up junior high students. There was a shift in my focus. So I think that's what it looks like when, when we deny ourselves. It's a shift in focus. And that was my story. Your story might be different. I'm not saying that every single one of us, when we deny ourselves, it leads us to full-time ministry. No. Because we need people in every industry, in every aspect of life, who are living for Jesus, who are bold about their faith, who are loving others without abandon, so that Jesus can be seen. But are you thinking about your profession? Are you thinking about what your days look like with a mindset of your mind being on the things of this world? self or is the mindset on things of God if you're a follower of Christ and you are a doctor when you go to work which are you first are you a doctor who happens to be a Christian are you a Christian who happens to know some stuff about doctrine? if you're a blue collar worker construction worker when you go to work are you a follower of Christ who can do some stuff in in the construction field Or are you a construction worker who happens to know Christ? Let's have a change of focus. Deny ourselves and put God first. And see, that there's a natural progression in life uh, to grow into a place of self-denial. If you look at life, how it goes, there's this natural progression. You're born as an infant. It's all about me. If you want something, you just start screaming and you get it. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, think think of an infant. Put yourselves in Their shoes, and imagine trying to live your day like that where all you have to do is scream and eventually you get what you want. I mean, it's all about me. And then we grow and begin to realize there's other people. Maybe it was a sibling, maybe it was a neighbor or a friend. You begin to realize there are other people out there, which just means it makes it harder for me to get my toys because you want to play with them too. And there's still a little bit of a self focus on there, but now you begin to see, well, maybe they want to play with something too. And we begin to uh, at least be aware of other people. And that continues to grow. And we get to a place, maybe in your journey, you come to a place where you get married. And if we understand God's heart for marriage, it's two becoming one, where you would look at your spouse and even though you're still two individual people, you, you would live as if you were one. You would value them as much as you'd value yourself. You would serve them in the ways you, you would want to be served. You'd love and care for them the ways you would love and care for yourself. Then you see a call to service, you almost even elevate that a touch. And So we begin to see uh, a growing of, of denying ourselves. And then you have kids. And no longer is it this mutual relationship of serving and loving one another, but uh, now you're on the other side where you have this, this little person who's just screaming for something and it's all about them. You know, there's an opportunity to transition our focus from ourselves to beyond ourselves. But, but, at any point in this process, you can get stuck. Think about it. At any point in this process, we can get stuck. Just because there's a natural kind of flow in life for these kind of transitions to take place doesn't mean they do. We've all known that person who is a 45-year-old child, Right? If anyone's in here at 45, I apologize. I, it was not meant for you. Maybe it was. Talk to God. Whatever. <laughs> i got to stop going off notes. Um, so there's always an opportunity to get stuck. But what's beautiful is that Jesus calls us to die to ourselves and, and to live for him. So no matter where we are in that, if we're still focused on self, we can surrender to Christ and, and, and jump to a place where our focus is on others and This guy takes us to take up your cross. So we need to deny ourselves, shift our focus onto things of heaven, shift our focus onto things of God. Take up our cross. Cross. See, there's a cost in following Jesus, and it's something that as a church, uh, capital C, something we haven't done a good job in this day and age making clear that yes, there's a cost to follow Jesus. Does it bring salvation? Is it forgiveness of sin? Yes, there is. It's all amazing stuff. But, but God doesn't just want us to, to be in heaven with you. He wants all of us. He wants full surrender. And So what is the cost of discipleship? It's our everything. It's our everything. God's not just up there handing out, get out of hell free cards. All right, you're good, you're good, you're good. But he wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to be with you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, was imprisoned for his faith, and while in prison, he he wrote this book, The Cost of Discipleship, and this is a quote from that book. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ-suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to the otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I love at the end of there, he says, uh, the cross is not this terrible end uh, to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. Each morning, I encourage you to take up your cross by giving that day over to Jesus. Before you go and start your day, give that day over to Jesus. Ask Jesus, what do you desire for my life today? How can I love people that you love? How can I share you? How can I make you known, make much of Jesus? So deny yourself, take up your cross by giving the day over to God and then follow him. I kind of hear this as, as Jesus saying, do what I do okay? To, 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 to follow someone, though, as long as they're one step ahead of you, just follow and, and do what they, they're doing. Two things I want to hit on as we wrap up. First one, Jesus pursued the Father. He pursued the Father. He found time, a way to be with God in prayer. He found time in solitude. Find what works with you, whether it's journaling and writing down your thoughts and prayers, whether it's quiet times uh, where it's just you and your Bible, whether you get a book that kind of helps you understand some scripture. um, Find what works for you. If you want to meet with someone uh, to kind of help teach you some of those things, find what works for you. When we pursue the Father, we are filled up. We are filled up. I, I was thinking about this concept of being filled by the Spirit. And what came to mind was if you remember the, the, the Mickey Mouse cartoon in Fantasia, where he's a sorcerer's apprentice, and he, and he puts a, a spell on the broomstick to carry the water for him to fill up uh, the, the, this little pool in, in the house. And it goes to the well, and it comes back, and it keeps going, and it keeps going. Well, it doesn't stop, and it starts to overflow the well. And so to, to stop, he chops it up in a bunch of little pieces. Well, and each piece that he cut off becomes a new broomstick with new buckets and, and they get water. And you know, next thing you know, the whole place is just overflowing. Water pouring out of the windows. I love that imagery because you think about that. If, if God is just pouring into us and we're getting time with him, it's like having a full cup and you just keep pouring and it just pours out. And, and, and then that will have an impact on the people around you. If you begin your day surrendering over to God, being filled by His Spirit, then as you engage in your days, that will pour out into others. People will, will see that, and they will see God in you. Now imagine if that source, the well that those, those uh, broomsticks were going to, was empty, and they are just carrying these empty buckets all the time. No, nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. But when they go to the source, when we plug in and, and we connect them with God on a daily basis, we'll be overflowing. So Jesus pursued the Father, and He pursued others. This is one of the most amazing things when we stop and think about it. There's a story of a Hindu and a Buddhist having a conversation where they're saying uh, that really all, all religions are the same is what they were arguing about, discussing, and say, "Well, it's like this. It's, it's like a mountain where man is at the bottom of the mountain and, and God is at the top, and we all find different routes to get to God." And then a Christian steps in and says, "Well, I understand what you're saying, and..." He, I agree with you, okay, imagine it as a mountain with people at the bottom and, and God at top. But Christianity is not the same. In Christianity, Jesus, God, comes down to us. He pursues us. He gave up his life to bring people to the Father. We stop and realize what that means. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus would, would, would give up heaven to come and show us the way and bring us to the Father by laying down his life on the cross. So, as we wrap up this general generous life series, I want to encourage us all to be generous with our lives by giving all of ourselves, by denying ourselves, by taking up our cross and following Jesus, and pour yourself out into others. What does that look like? If we want to pursue others like, like Jesus pursued others, pour yourself out in service and uh, fellowship and hospitality. Romans twelve thirteen says this. Uh, it's kind of this mist of, a, here, here's what it looks like to, to follow Jesus, and here's some things that we should go and do. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints, basically those who are followers of Christ as well, and seek to show hospitality. And so that's one way we can pour ourselves out, is through service and fellowship And then also in hospitality. You got to stop and think, okay, well, I have people over my house all the time. If we we really look at what hospitality is, it's not just opening up your home to your friends and family. But hospitality, one way to think of it, it's, it's a love of strangers. It's a love of strangers. To be hospitable says when you see someone, just the mere fact that you are created by God gives you great worth. Because God loves you, I love you, and I will show you hospitality so church, let us be hospitable in giving of ourselves. It says show hospitality. Some translations will say practice hospitality. Actually, the heart of the original term there actually is probably better encapsulated in the word pursue hospitality. Pursue hospitality. Look for ways to be hospitable. Look for ways to serve and love strangers. So church... Everyone here this morning, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, I would encourage you to invest your life in the life of others. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you only need to be one step ahead of someone for them to follow you. And so if you're just investigating who Jesus is, find someone else to come with you in that. Say, hey, you know I'm just kind of checking out some of this Jesus stuff. Do you want to join with me in that? If you've accepted Christ and it's something you did, you've done recently, maybe did a long time ago, but you never really dug into it, you're not really sure what that means, you can still share that with someone who hasn't accepted Christ. If you've been walking as a disciple for years, you can pour that into others. Invest your life in the life of others. Let it begin at home, whether with your kids, with a roommate, with a neighbor next door. Unless we send out into our community, pouring our lives into them. And let's be part of taking it to the ends of the earth. Well, I call this message uh, an increase of thanksgiving. And I haven't talked about thanksgiving much. I know we put out some thank yous to start all this. But the reason we call it an increase of thanksgiving is I want to leave you with a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want you to think about when does thanks come? When do you say thank you? It's when you received something, right? Whether someone served you in some way, They gave you a gift, they supported you, they encouraged you. You've received something, right? And then you say what? Thank you. You you give thanks as a response to receiving. And so if we see people giving thanksgiving to God, that means that lives are being changed. That means that people are receiving the gifts of God. And so thanksgiving is an amazing thing. 2 Corinthians 4, 15 through 18, I'll leave you with this. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, things of this world, but to the things that are unseen, as we look to God in heaven. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray, church. Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for how you've given to us. We thank you that we have life in you, Father. And I pray as we conclude this Generous Life series that you would help us to be individually generous and as a church, generous. That so we not only give of our of our wealth, of our treasures, of our skills, and the things that we're able to do, Father, but that we would also give fully of ourselves, to you, to your purpose, to your mission to see lives changed and disciples made. In the days and weeks ahead, Father, help us to have a clear picture of what that looks like for each one of us here. What does our, our shift of focus look like in our lives? Reveal to us areas of sin where we are not pursuing you, but we're, we're caught up with the things of this world. Help us to make that decision of, of repentance. Thank you for the forgiveness that comes in Jesus. And Father, we just pray for an increase of thanksgiving. That people's lives would be changed, that they would be blessed as they receive salvation from you, as they receive your blessing and your spirit. And they respond by giving thanks. I pray this all in your name. Amen.